Are you ready? Hey, everybody. Hey, folks. Hello, everybody. People in the back. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the inner loop. Without further ado. Without further ado. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to get started. We should get started. We're yeah. Rolling. I'm right there. We're, we're, we're going to get started. <laughs> Welcome to the Inner Loop Radio. I'm Rachel Kuntz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't already, remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and check out our website at theinnerlooplit.org. For any new listeners out there here on the Inner Loop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, publishing or editing, how to make a living, or just how we all sit down each day in front of an empty page. Or screen. Or a wall. Yeah, some people have those cool walls. Anyway. <laughs> Sometimes we play clips of local writers reading their work at our monthly reading series. Other times we invite those writers, as well as other members of the literary community, to join our discussion. On today's show, we want to talk about short stories. Specifically, how do you end them? So, Courtney, I have a confession to make. Okay, I'm here for it. I've never really understood <laughs> the short story ending. I mean, I think I get it as a reader. Like, you know, I, I take things away. Sure. Yeah. But I've never gotten it as a writer. Like how to get to that point from the beginning. Like, how would you even begin to know how to end this fucking story? Because it's not about like resolving conflict necessarily. Well, yeah. Uh, Emotional conflict. Sometimes not even that. No, it's almost like you want to build you want to like create conflict and then and have then your reader walk away middle. with it yeah it's just like oops Rude. <laughs> yeah no i i love reading short stories i think they're um often really accessible in terms of uh not just not just their length um but you can contain a completeness in them that I don't know that you ever get in a longer work. You know, you're left in, I know what the that's, heck are the, you op- saying that's right the opposite now? of what we're just talking about, but it's like, it's, I guess it's this idea of like, uh, in writing a short story, you, your mission is to like make someone feel something mm. quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and poetry kind of has that, but it's a little more rambling. And then otherwise longer works, you have the tools of the the lives of the characters that people like kind of go away with and come back to when you're, mm-hmm. you're reading something it's over like character time. driven. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that short stories aren't, um, but I think there's a different goal and maybe that's. What is the goal? I don't know because I don't write fiction. <laughs> so, you know, this is all coming from me as a reader. Uh, yeah. I think about the difference between like ending something that's nonfiction and ending something that's fiction because. Mm-hmm. We're both nonfiction writers and it's, you know, when I'm writing a piece of nonfiction, uh, a nonfiction story, if you will, I don't feel like I need to like resolve everything that's happening, but I feel like I want to leave the reader with this feeling of, uh, yeah, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. Like, uh, but I feel like short stories always like leave me feeling all tense and worked up. Jazzed up. You know, like (laughs) now what? (laughs) 
Yeah. I, you know, I was just, I, I think they're almost to me a little bit more similar um, to like a short play mm. or even just a regular play. It has the elements of performance and theatric in it or something. Mm. Yeah. I like where your head's at. It leaves me with a similar sense of this is something in real time. I don't mm. know. Yeah. But also, I feel like there are all different kinds of endings. Like yeah. short stories, you know, have a lot of like wiggle room. Like, <laughs> yeah, sometimes they feel like they resolve emotionally, but then other times, like, it feels like it's just like lingering. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing like the, weird the hand motions that's, like, moving that, off into that the, the audience distance. can't yeah. see, but it's just like, you know, um, yeah, no, I think they can resolve emotionally, but. Also, you know, you don't get the satisfaction of more. Yeah, what the fuck is up with that? It's kind of so it's mean. Like, it's not like <laughs> hurts so good kind of thing, right? Like, yeah, it's true. It hurts so good. I love a short story. I love a good short. What's one of your favorite? What's your favorite short story? Um, you know, I don't remember the Put names you on of the things. Spot. I can't. One that has well, the one that has always stuck in my head the most probably just because it's Hemingway and that's like the thing that's drilled into your head whatever and dodge <laughs> me um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like white elephants um, you know because I think partially the first time you read that as a as a younger reader or a coming of age reader it's like what abortion they talk about that mm-hmm. you know and, and there's ways to talk about it without saying the word what is happening? <laughs> What's happening? What even does this mean? Um, so I don't know if that's my favorite, but it is one that has always, I've revisited as. It's like thrilled in your yeah. head. Yeah. You'll mm-hmm. never forget it. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a Faulkner girl myself. Yeah, always. Yeah. From the South. What yeah. do you want? Yeah. All right. Let's stop rambling and bring in somebody who actually For sure. knows what's going on because he himself ended 11 different stories in his latest collection. I mean, so. magical. I just want to like give a, <laughs> a clap for that. <laughs> Stay tuned to hear from our September Authors Corner Spotlight, Cameron McKenzie. Gather. Um, you can gather in. Gather around, gather around for the second half. And we're going to get started. We're going to get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. I'm not teasing you this time. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We've been discussing short stories and how to end them. And now we'd like to welcome Cameron McKenzie, author of the short story collection, River Weather from Alternating Current Press and our September Author's Corner Spotlight. Welcome, Cameron. Thank you, guys. It's so great to be here. Yeah. Great to have you. I also noticed as I was preparing for this episode that it's River Weather and Alternating Current Press. Oh, I didn't pick up on that either. Everybody? Uh, before we pick your brain about short stories and how to end them, how about we hear a story from your collection? Sure. Do you have a request? I don't know. Dealer's choice. I could do. So coyotes is about like four pages. You know what? That's a good one. I'm here for coyotes. That's a good one for this right. conversation. Too. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is coyotes. My friend recently came back from a trip to LA where he stayed in a house with a deaf and blind dog. 
They called the dog Roomba because it roamed through the place bumping into things and scarfing up food. It was old but not tired, and had settled into a steady rhythm of life that seemed, it, that seemed it could sustain indefinitely. But my friend wanted to tell me about a dog, so he could tell me, actually, about the coyotes. The coyotes roamed the edges of the neighborhood at dawn and dusk, big-eared, serene, drawn tight as bowstrings. Coyotes loved to trick domestic dogs, to play with them and draw them away from their yards and out into the hills, where the pack can turn on them, kill them, and eat them. From this time-tested game, Roomba was immune, thanks precisely to his handicaps, so at six or so every afternoon he'd patrol the fenced-in backyard with his nose to the ground, blissfully unaware of the coyotes darting in and out of the brush on the other side. I have to imagine those animals were curious, perhaps even frustrated, that their natural charisma, their superior athleticism and street smarts and dark and exotic draw of the wild had absolutely no effect on the snuffling trash compactor who labored diligently just feet away. I don't know about L.A., but when I lived in San Francisco, I used to run out in the Presidio by the Golden Gate Bridge. It's all pine trees and crumbling cliffs dropping off into the pounding sea, and, as the park is generally empty, the place is a runner's dream. There's wide, honey-golden routes that run you past the main attractions, and then narrow paths out to wilder places, to beaches you wouldn't otherwise know existed, to unannounced art installations in the woods, to old bunkers and rusting ballistic missile sites and radar towers surrounded by a barbed wire, gray paint peeling in the wind. I once found myself down one of these side paths that then opened up into another and another until after a while the track was just about as wide as my own foot and nearly overgrown. The further I ran back into a grove of eucalyptus, the more I wondered if I wasn't on some sort of water runoff or deer path, and soon I found myself in a part of the park I'd never been in before. The dry leaves of the high trees rattled against one another as I came to a clearing. No underbrush, no scrub and here the trail petered out completely before a circle of what could only be described as beds, as worn indentations in the grass arranged in a rough half-circle before me, each one about three feet long. They looked like little nests, and I wanted to bend down and touch one, just brush it with my fingers. But I knew it was better to keep my feet, better to keep my hands free and my legs beneath me, just in case they should decide, against their nature, but still, just in case they should choose to come at me all at once. Coyotes come across the Golden Gate Bridge at night, lured by the smells of the city, and they're not the only ones. They've got cameras on the thing, so they can tell. You've got possums and raccoons and skunks and deer and snakes, but it's not at all unusual for mountain lions to pop over at night for a dumpster dive, nap in the park for the daylight hours, then head back over after the sun goes down. Roomba's limitations saved his life on a regular basis, but the local coyotes weren't so easily dissuaded. They had watched their prey and learned its habits and had taken to killing squirrels and mice and hanging bits of the carcasses on the fence for Roomba to find. The owner had seen the meat himself, pink and bloody and flecked with bits of bone, woven into the black chain link like a prank. God knows how they get that crap into the fence, the guy said. But once those fuckers set their mind to something, they tend to find a way. I'm so glad you read that one because my first question is, uh about the content and a lot of your stories I feel like deal with masculinity and mm. manness. There's so many men in there and different kinds and how do they like express their masculinity, um, which feels really appropriate for the medium because men like to leave a lot of things unset. <laughs> oh, sure. hot takes. For hot sure. takes. <laughs> I'm being silly, but on the other hand, it does feel apropos. What do you think? Um, 
you mean the like discussions of masculinity within now the you short story? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm just interested in like how you decided to, you know, because we're talking about endings and how you decide how to end a story. Yeah. And what are you trying to convey and what are you trying to get across? So I'm curious about your choice, first of all, for this medium at mm. all, for the mm. things that are contained in these stories. Mm-hmm. Endings are, and you know, hear, hearing you guys sort of talk about it, or there's, there are several ways to end a story, let's say. I'm reminded a lot of, if you've ever read like early Borges, like his first, his first uh, several stories, and the stories will be about like, a, you know, like a Chinese pirate in mm-hmm. the 1200s. And the story reads like an encyclopedia article mm-hmm. and it ends and several, he wrote several of these and they all end with something like, you know, and then she died of stomach cancer at the age of 47. And I remember reading those. I'm like, you can do that. You mm-hmm. could, but I always feel that way reading Borges. I'm like, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> um, for like, for instance, so for this one, I knew, I sort of knew before going into the story, what I wanted to happen. I did hear that story about a Roomba. <laughs> First of all, I love that story because it reminds me of my dog who's blind and oh. really like chill and just kind of just wanders around yeah. bumping into things a little bit. Go ahead. <laughs> when I read that story and there's always somebody sort of chuckling, I'm like, they got one of these. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like I, I knew I wanted to start with that because my friend did tell me about these coyotes and how they were messing with the, you know, the carcasses. And it reminded me, having lived out in San Francisco for a long time, I had a lot of sort of coyote experiences. Mm. Um, I remember once I was, I was driving out because I used to have to get out of there super early to beat the traffic. I'm driving out, it's like 6.30, the sun's on the water, it's absolutely gorgeous. Mm. And then coming up, mm-hmm. the, coming up the road was a coyote with what looked like a cat in its mouth. Yeah, probably. And it was just sort of like, you know, trotting up the road. And then he saw me coming down in the car and he's like, huh. And he walked over. And he jumped on the sidewalk <laughs> and just tried to pass me with the cat in his mouth on the sidewalk. I'm like, you know, that guy, he had a good night and wow. uh, he's just trying to get home. <laughs> well, breakfast, Sammy, on the way. Yeah, for sure. And other creepy coyote things would be, if you've ever heard them howl, mm. they, would, they would chase one another outside yeah. our windows. And it sounded like women screaming. And it was very mm. surreal, especially with, you know, the storms that would come through and that's the wind and it's all dark. And then women are screaming outside. So what the hell is that? It's coyotes, coyotes. Mm-hmm. So um, I knew I wanted something like that in the middle, you know, start with the dog, the middle. I didn't know what the middle was going to be. I just sort of like, well, let's just start writing and see where it goes. But then I knew I was going to come back to, you know, that Roomba crazy and, fucked up image of like, that was pretty visceral. Yes. <laughs> Like, I knew I was coming to that. <laughs> I don't think I knew the guy was going to say that, you know? Right. It, but, but once he said it, I was like, well, that's the end. So I can't get a better line than that, mm, you know? I have so many feels about this story, mostly because I studied canids of all kinds. Mm. I knew you were going to love this story. I know. It's like, it's, there's there's so much back to that, and I'm not even going to start. if you do a dog story. <laughs> Everybody listening, <laughs> keep it in mind. But no, a couple of things. The the ending line, I think, Rach speaks to your your first question of like this masculine presence, right? Because it's it's as you read it, the guy I pictured wasn't your friend. It was some like kind of like, you know, Midwestern farmer hiking his 
dungarees up, like looking at the fence saying, yep, sure. Yep. They'll, they're, they're tricky motherfuckers, you know? Um, but so you gave us some resolution there, like the Mm. scene ended, like I felt that it was whole, Mm. but we don't know what happened. Like, I don't know what happened to Ruma. Did he get eaten? Did they lure him away? Like there was still these lingering questions and yeah, maybe just speak to the dichotomy of that. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of people um, have asked me after reading this collection, they're like, well, so then what happened? I'm yeah. like, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the point. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't write it. You know, it's like uh, if you're looking at a sculpture and you're like, well, why isn't his arm over there? Cause it's not over there. The arm is there. <laughs> what, what's the sculpture going to do next? It's not going to do anything. It's a look at it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's, it's nice to get those questions because although they're, they're really, the people that ask those questions are really involved in the characters I've mm, created yeah. and they mm. really <laughs> believe them to be real and want to know what they do next. You know, um, yeah. one of the stories, uh, Swiss seat in which the story ends with, um, a boy having a seizure, you know, on the forest floor. And a lot of people go, so what happened to the boy? And like, I'm not sure. I, as, as I was writing it, I was like, okay, he's dead. And then I was like, no, he gets up. And I'm like, no, he's dead. <laughs> and I wrote a version of the ending in which, cause it's, you know, for those not familiar with the story, it's the three boys screwing around in the woods and one of them gets really hurt. And mm-hmm. the story ends with that boy having a seizure. Um, I wrote a version where the two boys are arguing with one another and they turn back to their friend who's fallen down and he's not there. Hmm. In which case, you know, I guess he got up. <laughs> um, but that felt it, it, that took the image too much away from mm-hmm. the boy, which is a really sort of galvanizing image, you know, mm-hmm. and put it on this argument they were having at the mm-hmm. end of the story. Mm-hmm. And this might get a little bit to, you know, what we're talking about, about endings. I, you want to end, I try to end on something really strong and really powerful and something that, um, an image that will grab the rest of the story. It doesn't have to answer all the questions mm-hmm. of the story, um, but it's an image that is, you can look at any page in the story and it will refract back through that. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, I love that. So, so when that image hits, you're like, Oh, and then stop because <laughs> you're not going to do better. I mean, I think you, you could write a story in which, and you know, and then they died of lung cancer at 85. No, I, I mean, <laughs> That's yeah. not the kind of story that that I write. I I I feel like I can relate to that because my story is also like when in doubt, like end with an image that is representative of everything that's going on, and it will always speak more volumes mm-hmm. than like trying to wrap it up in a sentence of what happened or anything like that. But I noticed it. Not all your stories do that. Like the coyote one, there's this visceral mm-hmm. image, and you kind of realize you know, who cares what happens to the dog? Like the, what we're trying to get at is like this thing about coyotes. Um, but then there's the one about the carpenter, the sad, sad carpenter and his <laughs> the sad, sad carpenter <laughs> and, his, and yes. uh, his assistant, um, which was super to, for, for the reader, for me, um, character driven, like mm. the character, was so interesting and of, of the carpenter. Cause he was really like uh caustic and a dick, uh, but he was also really vulnerable. Mm. Um, and the, the assistants like 
basically carrying him on his back, like emotionally. <laughs> um, and it ends, it doesn't end on an image exactly. It ends on like uh, a relationship moment between mm-hmm. the two. Um, and so I just wonder like, you know, about how we kind of, how you move away from the image in some stories, because it's not always as simple as that. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, so the ending for that one in which the, the last really line of that story shows uh, a growth that the narrator goes through and the last line really sort of um, maybe alerts the reader uh, of the, of the path that has been trodden throughout the story Mm -hmm. by the narrator. And I didn't know if I was going to allow him to change in that way. Mm. A lot of times it's a different ending for me. Um, A lot of times I want to end on moments that are, sort of undecidable or yeah. ambiguous in a way that, you know, when I would read, um, I love Cormac McCarthy and, you know, mm-hmm. read all his stuff. And if you look at his endings, mm. uh, to these novels, they can be read. They're, they're very ambivalent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They can be read two ways or more than two mm-hmm. ways, you know? And even in the books, like say the crossing where he's like trying to tell you something the whole time you get to the ending and the ending can go in different directions. It's like, mm. well, is what does that mean? Why does he do that? I think he, if you put too clean of a bow on it, mm-hmm. it's like, well, is this fiction or am I, you know, reading some sort of uh tract, right? <laughs> is this something that, you know, I should go to church for like a or, parable mm-hmm. or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, or, or, um, are we trying to open the story up onto the undecidability of life, mm-hmm. which I think is exactly what stories should do. You know, I think of, I don't like stories that take sides. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was, I was thinking about this um, when we were doing the, the riding exercise. I think about cat person. You remember that story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think about, I think about that story a lot and you know, it's, it's probably a testament to how good it is. I think about yeah. it a lot, but it really does take a side at the end. Mm-hmm. If you think the end of that, I think is when the guy texts her like bitch. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And to end on that, makes him the bad guy mm-hmm. and makes her the good guy. Mm-hmm. And I think the story got so much traction because it took a side and because people wanted to dislike that guy. Mm-hmm. But if you go back into the story, you can see the moments of their flirtation are infinitely more ambivalent and infinitely more complicated. And that's true to me. Right. But she ends it on bitch and then he's bad. Mm-hmm. And it makes the story seem really simplistic to me. You know, I read it. I'm like, Oh, what's a big fucking deal here. Then I was like, well, <laughs> let's, let's pull it apart. Twitter was a fire. Yeah. Oh my God. And, it, and it, it was a fire because people were, people wanted to hear that story mm-hmm. and people wanted that ending to that story. But I, I think it, it cheapens it to yeah. me because it, it's not honest to the complexity of, you know, the, the sort of just dating is yeah. incredibly mm-hmm. complicated. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, to just tell it from one side just isn't fair. No. And that, that, uh, idea of ambivalence i think is exactly what rach i was trying to (laughs) less eloquently convey uh when we were chatting before like that is to me what makes a short story both unique and good right that i thank you for hitting the nail on the head with that as you are the master of this craft (laughs) um but yeah that it could go kind of anyway yeah and i think i agree i definitely agree that the whole point of literature and art and everything is to make you think, yeah. think about the human condition, especially. Um, 
but I'm going to come back to my question because this story <laughs> did give us that little something. And so, you know, I just want to talk about options because Courtney and I earlier were saying like, there are so many ways to end a short story, right? There isn't one way. And before the show, you were like, I always end my story the same way. Um, so I want to yeah. <laughs> so drill down on the one that you did not end the same way with mm. that lingering ambivalence to kind of make me walk away frustrated, as I was saying earlier. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, is it like the character just wouldn't let you do it, you know? It's or, like when but I want to know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When, how, how much of a role do they have? Sometimes the character is yeah. like, no. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, you're talking about non-smoking house, right? When they're in the truck? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So when I feel that the story's coming to an end, a lot of times when, like when I write a story, um, usually I'll sit down and I'll start writing. I'm like, Ooh, and I get really excited. And I look around, I'm like, do I have time? I don't know if I have time. <laughs> I'm like, I'll write it just really quick. <laughs> and so I, I sort of burn through it really quickly to try to get to what feels like an ending. And when it's a good story, it's like I'm being taken along by something. Mm -hmm. And you know, a friend of mine says you have to avoid the eye of Sauron, which is, <laughs> hovering above and if the eye sees you then you can't write more can't, no. but, oh, God. so it's like hiding from the eye of sauron is i you know just sort of burn through this idea and when i am coming up to what's going to be the ending i feel like i'm piloting a huge jet plane mm -hmm. and i just have to you know you know that moment right right before the wheels touch down and it's just like an inch or two above the pavement and i always think like well if i'm gonna die this is where i'm gonna die <laughs> So yep, yep. <laughs> it feels like that. Like I'm just, it's like, all you got to do is just touch the tarmac. It's all right. The thing is, is that I've never flown, flown a plane before. <laughs> and so I don't know how to land it. And, um, this is something that like Edward P. Jones, who's a huge influence on me, the short story writer and novels. Um, he said the thing about writing short stories, you write one, you're like, Oh, now I know how to do it. Mm. And you don't because each story is completely different. Mm -hmm. And so you have to relearn how to do it every time that you do it. They're like and, children that way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and so each ending um, is going to be a little bit different. And I really want to land that plane. Mm -hmm. And if I land it the first time, right, like the first time I'm burning through and I'm like, oh, God, that's the ending. Yes. So like uh, coyotes, mm -hmm. I just wrote that and I'm like, whoop. Now we're done. <laughs> Bye. Um, yeah, Always a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't know if that story was going to be 20 pages or if that was going to be a novel or what it was going to be. And then I yeah. wrote that line. I'm like, nope, that's it. Yeah, that's it. It's a four page story. Mm -hmm. um, but for uh, non-smoking house, I, you know, I'm, I'm coming in, I'm landing the plane and I'm like, what? I'm like, what is wh what is this story about? I'm kind of asking myself as I'm coming in. Normally, I would end it on like a point of like super high tension. Um, in fact, people arguing, there's or, a, a point where you have to turn the page for the last paragraph. Uh -huh. And I actually thought that was the end. And then I turned it and I was like, Ooh, there's, <laughs> there's more. more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the way the book is printed, you know, uh, some of the stories just end at the bottom of the right hand page. Exactly. And then so you, I thought and like, it was oh, wait, the story's over. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I've, I've gotten that question a couple of times, but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking at it now. 57 to 58. I, mm -hmm. I see what you're saying. So I think I really wanted it, it was something that the characters were sort of leading me to, you know, if I was sort of like, you know, third person omniscient, I'm moving pieces on a board kind of thing. I probably would have ended it later, but kind of like you're saying the characters in this story in particular, 
just their personalities dominate the story. Mm-hmm. And as I was sort of reworking it, um, more of the dynamic between them came out mm-hmm. and the notion of the narrator who is infinitely emotionally aware or more <laughs> aware, let's say mm-hmm. than the, the other character. And I'm like, okay, well this guy, this guy has, he's in control in a way, you know, even though the other guy is just berating him through the entire story, mm-hmm. you know, this guy knows more and there has to be, how can we, one of the things about that story, I guess, is that you have a narrator who uh, is sort of bereft, right? He has nothing at the beginning, and he needs everything from this other guy. The other guy lives a life and in a world that is terrifying and abhorrent, I think, to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But the narrator has no other option. And during the course of the story, he chooses to live in this other world and to behave in this other way and to think these other things because he has no other alternative, mm-hmm. right? It's either, it's either you do this or you're broke and you have no other options. So once I realized that the narrator could have more control than the other character, I'm like, all right, is it possible to, to turn it at the end in which he fully converts mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to this world? Instead of, because he's resistant to it, he's resistant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the story is him being like, man, this is really fucked up. I wish I didn't have to do this. But you come to a point where it's like, it's fucked up and it's the only game in town. This is what I do now. So let's fucking play it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, let's play this game as hard as we can because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, um, and a lot of the stories in the book sort of touch on this and, and in terms of like masculinity as well, you know, growing up um, as a boy to a man, you know, um, you have to deal with. Is that how that works? I think so. You have to deal. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, you know you're right. You're right. I would say most times it might not. Um, but you have to you have to deal with this um, sort of masculinity that you want to aspire to, but you're not sure what it is. Mm. So you look around mentors. You see people that are performing it and things like this. And you're like, is that the way to do it? Is that the way to do it? Is that the way to do it? And I mean, certainly in my experience, the mentors I look around, I'm like, I don't want to do it that way. Mm-hmm. I don't understand that. Why are we doing it like this? Why do you say that? Why do you act this way? But after a while, it's like, well, what, how else do you do it? Mm -hmm. I don't have any other models, right? So we'll do it like this. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, a lot of males fall into that, Mm -hmm. right? And they, and they look around 20 years later, like, how the hell did I get here? And the reason is, is, is is you're sort of there, there's an absence of options, Mm-hmm. you know, and, and the old models hold sway. And then you become one of those models. Mm. I think what's so special about this collection though, is that so many different versions of that masculine masculinity are presented that you kind of do get a sense of that inarticulable essence, mm. what it is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Kind of, try uh, to, kind of try to draw it in profile. Yeah. You know, don't say the thing. You just sort of trace it, circle trace around it. And, it. and the more that you circle around it, the more that you draw yeah. the thing. Right. Yeah. So amazing. Well, thank you so much for this yeah. awesome conversation. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You can find out more about Cameron, read more interviews and articles and buy his story collection, River Weather, on our website, theinnerlooplet.org slash authors corner. But we can't let Cameron go just yet. 
Uh, I also wanted to know if you're around the D.C. area, you can buy it in person at the Potter's House. You can. Um, but up next, we do a different kind of writing exercise where we attempt to finish each other. Sandwiches. No. Why would I say? <laughs> sandwiches. Well, that's how I was going to say sandwiches, but stay tuned. Welcome back to the Inner Loop Radio. We turn now to a different kind of writing exercise. Normally, I like to throw a prompt at guests and make them reveal their rawest material. I still did that. I did that. But this time, <laughs> I'm that. revisiting a prompt we've done once before in the show, and that was really fun. Just before the show, I had each of us spend five minutes writing the opening of a scene. Then we changed, exchanged pages, and each of us spent five minutes writing the ending to each other's scenes. Was so- it fun? I think it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The the problem is when I start writing and I, so Cameron, I apologize because I know you got mine. (laughs) Like I'm the person who cuts the first two pages rather than the ending part. Cause it's like, that's all the like crap that I have to get out of my head first (laughs) to like get into what I'm actually saying. So funny. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Who wants to kick us off? I'm going to start. Okay. I never start. Yeah, it's true. And I have to read Cameron's writing. So. I stood in the kitchen of the Persian family watching Martin speak. I had met him three hours before at a bar in Arlington, a thin and quick man with a constant but troubling smile. He had a young blonde woman with him who assumed I needed to come with them to a second location. And now here I was. Martin Martin wore high shorts and loafers without socks. He had orange hair that he combed over a bald spot in the back of his head. His body was wiry like a uh-oh, dancer. His body was wiry like a dancer, his green eyes like nothing so much as a goat. And as he spoke to the people assembled before him in the kitchen, joking, uh, complimenting, insulting, I was stunned that they behaved as though he were a completely normal person. Martin sputtered out the punchline of his joke between gobs of hummus and crackers between his teeth. And the blonde woman howled with the kind of unselfconscious laughter that only a beautiful person could get away with. Ooh, that's good. Glancing around at the faces of our hosts, I could see I was only I was troubled by their manners. I forced a smile and, ex- and excused myself to the bathroom. Wiping the cold water from my face, I stood in the silence, wondering why I had come, why I ever came, or went out at all. I stared into my reflection and spotted a wisp of hair floating above my head. I tilted forward to get a better look. Mm-hmm. A little contrived, but I had one paragraph. <laughs> that was good. That was good. The, the woman laughing especially was very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I tried to channel your voice yeah. <laughs> turning it into my own voice. <laughs> oh, I didn't do that. I did the opposite. <laughs> well, that one was hard because I felt like the first half was much more third person and then you move into the first person. So I was like, that was what jarred me. But otherwise, I felt like 
It's true. I don't know how to write in the third person. So. <laughs> it's really, I mean, I find it really, really, really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I force myself to do it because I feel like I need to get better at it. But yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Cameron said that he thinks Rachel and I share a brain. So let's see if that's let's actually true here. Um, I started with Rachel's uh, first, her opening. All right. She woke, she woke up with a strange sense of longing and nostalgia that made her coffee taste bitter and her eggs bland. But for what? Her life was better than it had ever been. She had a family, a home. She even had her art. There was nothing missing, so what was she longing for? She pulled out her phone, uh, ran over her checklist, always incomplete, always growing. She checked her Amazon shopping cart. A few things, ling a few things lingered, but nothing she really wanted. She checked her calendar, a complex color matrix that she shared with her partner. Nothing rang any bells. She... Saw? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> she saw her period. period was done and was done. Yeah. In a few days. Could it be it was just that amorphous discontent brought on by hormones or was it something more? The decision came slowly, tucked in moments between meals and school pickups, library visits and puddle jumping. As her love for this child she had grew by the minute, her need for one that didn't yet exist dulled daily. It wasn't that she didn't know it was the right choice. It was the anticipation of not having a choice to make. That particular feeling drew her away from the present bliss and back to a period of her life when choice seemed anything but possible. As she stirred the bitter coffee, a reminder flashed across her phone, register for youth ballet. <laughs> <laughs> so I tied it up with a bow because I had to. But, you know, here we are. Pretty good. That was a mind meld. Yeah. I don't know where the split happened. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> cool. I really, I feel like I had to drill in on the feminine after like reading some of your stories. <laughs> Get that period blood in there. Yes, yeah. yes. I, I, would, I would never have started a story like that. <laughs> Come to the other side. I know, it's exciting. But hey, it's a whole new thing. All right, you're up, sir. All right. I had Courtney. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. This is Courtney. In the mountain, you see the cold before you feel it. In the long approach, uh, oops, long approach through the through, valley, yeah. excuse me, through the valley, <laughs> through the valley like peaks, stand sentinel, snow covered tops seeming never closer until they are of a sudden all over and around you. And it's now when you look closer that the cold snows itself. Shows. Shows. It looks like a snow. Yeah. <laughs> the cold shows itself would make more sense. What was it? What, what was its fanny tees? Fanny tees? Not fanny tees. <laughs> Not fanny tees. It looks just like. I like fanny tees, though. I do too. What was it? Something tees of ice caps is now the hardened ground. The smoke sneaking out of chimneys. Hats pulled low over the ears of the people you pass as you sputter down. Main Street. I changed the U. Yep. Yeah. She hadn't heard the dog in over an hour. And the boot tracks in the snow had petered out long before. She kept on through the woods, her fingers numbing her gloves. The fear and the hope now faded into flat and unconvincing replicas of what they should have been. 
She kept moving deeper into the trees as the snow fell, the sky grain to night, the mountain white and rising higher up before her until it seemed as though it had always known. And perhaps it had. <laughs> if that ain't snows of Kilimanjaro, then I don't know what I love hearing you read Courtney's words because <laughs> every show I'm like, Courtney has such a voice. It's such yeah, a voice. Sure, right. But then hearing you read it, it's like you were you like <laughs> managed to turn it into your voice just by changing the way you read it. I was wondering how you were gonna take that. I was like, this is true, because it felt like very standard me, but then I was like But then he read it with like yeah. all the all the Cameron pauses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my ille- yeah, no, I, illegible writing. No, I, I read it. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. I'm like, we have to turn this inside out. <laughs> we need to fix yeah, that. This, <laughs> this can't end well. You know, this has to end terribly. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, Cameron, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Oh, this is great. It was so much fun. Well, that's our show. Sorry. Yes, it is. Courtney's uh, with us. I am. Some days. <laughs> We'll be what? back uh, sometime. Sometime. After uh, some time. But did you know that the Interloop has lots of programming for writers in the DC area? Well, he always does this thing where she puts her fist on her head. <laughs> did, did you know? Did you know? The more you know. So much. <laughs> we do readings, retreats, workshops, a summer residency, and more. You read all about it. <laughs> doing it again. <laughs> extra, extra. Um, visit us at theinnerlooplit.org where you can also donate to support us and local literature. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Inner Loop Lit. Today's episode was produced by me, Rachel Kuntz. Our theme music is by Andrew Logan, and our technical advisor is James Skinner. Thanks again to Cameron McKenzie for joining us on the show. If you ch- enjoyed today's episode, call this 1-800 number. Or just leave us a review. That would be great. <laughs> Such as, every time I turn on The Inner, inner Loop Radio... The nagging voice inside my head that goes over and over my infinite to-do list at increasing volume and with increasing urgency begins to fade away. And all I can feel is... Infinite bliss. Oh. Or, you know, whatever you feel about our show. Yeah. Don't forget to subscribe. I mean, can you tell that I have too many things to do? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like to-do lists are a recurring theme. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Subscribe. Yes. Never miss an episode. Put that on your list. Happy writing. Right on. <laughs>